Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Africa Asia podcast. Uh, it's good to be back, and tonight I'm with our friend Chris. Uh, Chris, say hi, and then I will introduce the topic for today. Hi, hi, Happy New Year. Uh, I've been lost for some time. My name is Chris Baraza. I'm an advocate, and I'm glad to be here. Cool. Uh, Chris, it's nice to have you. And I'm Christine, but, and I'm also an advocate. And I think it's quite an interesting topic that we will have tonight. Uh, it's about economic justice and Africa. And this came off from uh, an article uh, that actually Chris shared, I read about it, uh, written by someone from South Africa. And uh, we'll just pick a few things flowing from it. Some of the things, uh, Chris, I, that got me thinking, you know, the article went, was speaking around some uh, aspects of like the rule of law and how, you know, some things that have, have been legal, you know, for instance, like colonialism, like as an introduction, like colonialism uh, was legal, you know, like uh, you pass laws that favor certain people. And so you cannot even be prosecuted under the law because some of the things that you're doing are legal. So for instance, colonialism, apartheid, and such things that were legal, but when you look when you look at them, then you wonder really, uh, they are, should this be how the laws are structured? So, uh, and then a, a bit more about the rule of law, um, but the main focus of the article was that uh, also about economic justice, that rule of law should have some focus on uh, some focus on economic justice. And Chris, for me, I think uh, I would just mention some thoughts and then get uh, your view on them. I agree with, uh, you know, like the view which, uh, not just from that article, but generally that you find that most of the motivations for like rules like on colonialism, uh, capitalism, most of these things, the main motivation for this is is the economy. Like the Thing that, that that will make a person want to colonize another is really just so that they can get their land, that they can get their property. That really one of the main motivations for the things that we see in the world and the rules that are passed as laws, no matter how questionable they are, they tend to be directed towards like economic exploitation. And there's a lot that could be observed about that. Personally, I actually think that's true. Uh, I mean, uh, it's even biblical that love of money is the root of all evil, you know. So, uh, Chris, I don't know what you think, and especially like looking at at uh, the economic uh, justice system in Kenya, uh, I'll go a bit more to speak of specific things like the land laws and the issues of land, things like democracy. Apparently, if you look at any law, if you question what is the the driving force behind it, you might you will see some economic thing focused on it, whether to oppress someone or to benefit someone. Uh, Chris, what do you think? Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, I think I'm in full agreement with the author, Miss uh, Lindiresisulu, and also I'm in agreement with your point of view. And just to give it some perspective, so she's speaking from a South African perspective, uh, but uh, closer home now in the Kenyan situation. We find uh, right from the colonial era through the successive governments, the, the Kenyatta government, the Moi governments, the fact is that uh, the laws that they are are entrenched to favor 
the property owners as opposed to those uh, who lack the property. So Kenya, we have an obsession with land. So even as we have the discussion, I think we can think about it from a perspective of the land laws in Kenya. And you see things like the TGRC report coming up, nothing being done about them because the way the law is structured really is to in favor of the, those who already have it as opposed to those who do not have it. Yeah. Actually, and you know, Chris, in fact, I was thinking about it. You know, the thing, you know, like the 2010 constitution, I mean, there was mm -hmm. a bit of celebration and the change of the land laws in Kenya. Uh, a bit of celebration that, you know, like there's a change of uh, the laws, people are optimistic, you have rights to properties, it's being protected under, under the constitution. But the thing that I was, I, I was observing was that you see, if someone owns, uh, like the foreigners when the laws changed, that someone who had freehold land, and someone listening to this freehold land is uh, land which is not leasehold, <laughs> but uh, it's land which you hold in perpetuity. Yes. So, uh, so someone who owns that land, and then you con it's converted, and you're told now you can only hold a lease of 99 years. And someone says that's land reform laws, but the question is, should this person even have been owning this land in the first place? And I think uh, that has been, I think, a contention that people have when when someone says like it's an historical injustice, because a law comes in and wants to take force. I mean, going forward, it should. Uh, understood cannot be retrospective, but it finds you holding, let's say, um, this land, no one questions and asks, how did you get the land? You're just told that you are the property owner, you'll be protected, uh, and these are the rules that you will have to abide by as the property owner. But the presumption is that you are the rightful property owner. And sometimes when, you, when I think about that way, it's that way, I actually understand uh, when people are obsessed with the historical injustices around land. Uh, but I, but also to say that the article we are referring to, in the South African context, and I think to the Kenyan context, there are some quite a bit of differences. Uh, for instance, I think Kenyans actually uh, are a bit more economically empowered uh, in terms of like you can own land, in terms of you can afford to own land. Uh, yeah, depending on where it is and such things, you can afford to own land. But I think in South Africa, it's it's a bit hectic. Uh, the whole land dynamics, right? like there's a bigger uh, land uh, that's owned by fewer people. And you look at the dynamics. I think from the Kenyan perspective, there's what is seen as an historical injustice. Uh, but it's possible in Kenya to own land. But it's just especially when someone feels like you know. What was done in the past was unfair, and no one has questioned it. Uh, Chris? Mm. Uh, so, um, I hear you, what you say, and I'm in agreement to that. My perspective would be um, right from the drafting of the laws. So, basically, we have a new, it's not so new anymore, uh, it's because it's done a decade plus, but it's a, it's a fresh constitution, the 2010 constitution. And you'll see that is a problem where we we copy-paste a lot of things there. So you'd find in our laws, we have uh, what we call absolute rights, I think under Article 25, the rights that cannot be limited. And you'd find, fine, we have things like freedom from torture, slavery, forced labor, which is okay. But uh, I think laws should be made in context. 
Because if you see our scenario with property and our obsession with property and land and the historical injustices, why why did we feel it? Um, uh, why would it we give rights to own property? I think under Article Forty, um, more protection. Uh, make it. Of course, it cannot be absolute, but make the limitations to be a bit more stringent. And I think that stems from, and that is why in the article she says uh, we we borrow laws. I think in the article she says the. African authorities are applying, or the Dutch, I think the Dutch law or something of land and property. We borrow laws and you find they don't fit in the context, they don't really work for us. Eh? So, uh, for example, the Kenyan situation, land ownership was there before even the white man came. And we had our own mechanisms of, of protecting land ownership. But you'd find we have certain clauses in our laws that say, Customary law is only applicable as long as it's not repugnant to justice and morality, um, which is a very vague description. Basically, you're saying customary law or our own laws that fit into our context are at the bottom of the, of the ladder with regards to laws. And there you find now, once you have extrapolated laws from outside, which are not in context, they cannot be able to fit into our situation. And the persons who brought those laws, they are able to continue perpetuating these injustices that they've been doing for perpetuity. Because if you say, if you say you're going to, 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 to convert freeholds by foreigners to leaseholds, and you're giving them 99-year-old uh, leases, uh, which are renewable, uh, and uh, I highly doubt it that you'd fail to you'd find a government authority, the, the government authority, I think the NLC, not renewing these leases for them. So basically, you just it's cosmetic surgery you're doing because they're still owning this land. Fine, the term has changed to leasehold, 99-year-old leases, but renewable. 99 years, the guy probably wouldn't live to 100 years. Eh? His children will still inherit, quote-unquote, inherit that property, renew this lease, and still pass it on to their grandchildren. So we are doing, um, in my opinion, what we call cosmetic surgery. So I think when you'd find people like uh, Ms. Lindue Sisulu, they're saying the things, the hard truths that people don't want to hear because um, it will be painful and messy if you decide to go that route for uh, quote-unquote justice from an African perspective because uh, we are right back from the independence period. The actual, the actual guys were in the bush fighting for independence were not the beneficiaries of, 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 of the fight. Eh? You'd find the sons and the, and the, and the, and the, and the something personal against them, but you'd find the, the, the successors of the, of the senior chiefs, the collaborators are the ones who now, together with the white and the elite, eh, are the ones now who um, acquired vast properties and land. So now, if you want to do this radical surgery and the, give this property back to the people. It, and the people who are in power, it's going to be messy. So unless we have a law that is in context, that actually caters for the African, the Kenyan perspective, rather than copy-pasting, because ours is an amalgamation of the South African, American, and I think the British, uh, uh, even though the British don't have a codified constitution, but yeah, the practices, 
we'll never get really anywhere. And I think that's why I'm in agreement with our article that she says, we need to stop uh, interpreting laws as we've been taught in our various law schools or, you know, because it's, it's a really biased perspective. We're being taught Roman Dutch law. Uh, what about the African law? Why are we giving it a, a bottom tier treatment in our, in our laws? Yeah, I think that's why I agree with you, and, and I agree with you as well fully on this. Okay. Um, I think from what you said, and I think uh, to tie back to the topic what you're speaking about is clearly, as we are saying, is that there are land laws, for instance, which you see and under the constitution, of the, one of the principles of the Kenyan constitution, and most constitutions is rule of law, meaning that you're ruled uh, by the law. And But then the law that's ruling you is like this law that we're discussing about, like, uh, that has to do with property, which as Chris says, is sort of like the cosmetic surgery. So you have an instance where you think your laws will save you, but when you really look at it, and are you getting any economic justice out of it? But I think uh, a few also observations I wanted to make, especially about uh, this topic on uh, like using African um, legal systems. You know, when it comes to land, in my view, I think... We definitely do not need to take Roman Dutch law or uh, French laws or any laws. But I think also saying that we should apply like the African laws that existed like a long time ago when there was like communal ownership of land, that may not be what's fitting for the the times we live in. And and why I say this is, for instance, like we have like the fourth uh, industrial revolution. Uh, the government uh, is possibly wants wants to take land and compensate someone so that they can construct the roads. The context uh, now giving an example of like land utilization. When the government is constructing these roads, you should take into account that at some point maybe there will be driverless trucks, uh, and therefore like how you design the use of the land. Like if you want to have like uh, smart cities, I think. Uh, maybe communal ownership or a communal ownership may not be the way to go, but you just need to look at what in the modern context we need and look for a solution that works in that way. I I I think when we say that maybe let's go back to the African culture and how the land was things like how land was utilized is agricultural land what we need the most right now, for instance. Uh, but also, if it's not going to be agricultural, must it be like commercial to be used in these ways or should it be used for tech? Anyway, my, my view is that even as we are looking for like uh, to say, let's turn away from like Roman Dutch laws and these laws, I don't think the solution is the African laws that existed. Uh, I, I fully again agree with you. Uh, I think our point of departure is um, if you look at, uh, again, referring to uh, by the way, uh, as we discuss this, I think we should also take the, the article into context. Uh, the thing is this: uh, I think she's vying for she'd be vying for presidency of South Africa soon. So her her views are also might I'm not I don't know, but might come from a biased perspective, you know, because the hot topic in uh, the likes of the EFF in South Africa and um, the hot topic is uh, land reforms. Yeah? So just putting it out there for maybe our South African audience or something of the sort. But um, where I agree with her, she's not basically, and I'm not also saying that uh, we go back uh, 
we to uh, using our customary laws and you know communal form of land ownership eh? because and again because it will defeat the purpose of me saying we should take things into context because we have moved from um uh, you know factors of production we have moved from we we were at that point in time where communal land ownership would would um would hold water for lack of a better term we were mainly reliant on agriculture and as you said we have progressed and right now most countries we are not solely reliant on agriculture so you'd find our customary laws wouldn't be the the antidote to everything but it's just an example basically what we are saying we need to have um a different way of viewing things a clear a clearer perspective look at the bigger picture and saying we revert back to customary law could be accurate to one of the one of the of, of the of the defects of the current law as it is because if you think about it for example um in Kenya uh we have so many squatters or uh, post, after the post election violence so many people were displaced and they're very landless and or you'd find recently in the media people are being displaced from the from the slums of uh, Mukuru kwa Njenga and Mukuru kwa Ruben and being moved uh, and being told to move uh for for for, for road constructions and these guys where do you expect them to go to as a government yeah? and if you and this thing would be rather very simple if we kept our if we did not put our laws our customary laws at the bottom tier and say they only apply as long as they are not repugnant to justice and morality which is a very very subjective which can be can can be put to a very subjective interpretation so if we still had our our strong customary our customary laws being very strong in the in the legal in the legal system you'd find we'd still have uh, communal land in, in the various uh, up countries of, of these people yeah and the customary law as it is would protect them they'd have they'd have a way of going back to their to their rural areas to their homes eh? and right claiming a portion of that land being allowed to farm being allowed to live there if our customary laws in this case were strong enough because uh, you can correct me if i'm wrong but my understanding of communal land ownership in the in our customary way was that no one really So there's a family patriarch who if there was a title or who everyone knows owns that land but everyone else who subsequently comes after that would only be given possessory rights and user rights but they would not have ownership so if our customary practices were still strong enough our customary laws were still strong enough this person who's being uh, evicted from Mukuruka Ruben this person who was displaced from Eldoret or from Nakuru due to post election violence or this person who for some reason somebody grabbed their property in Mau Forest or you know or Mount Elgon is about land defense so we have the issues in the coastal land eh? they'd be able to go back to the up country and claim possession and user rights of certain lands communal lands and then be fully protected you know so that's just one way of thinking about it but I'm, I, but I, I'm in agreement with you when we say uh, customary law cannot be the antidote or the cure to to everything we have to look at it from a wholesome perspective but it's just an example yeah. okay um and you see i uh, as a follow up to what you've said you know like for yeah. instance when you think about 
the guy who has been displaced because of post-election violence. So there are two there are two uh, aspects to that, which I think one is the politics and how they're affecting uh, the situation, which again goes back to like maybe political laws and uh, how politics play into the economic justice system. Uh, so for instance, like this politician with like, uh, at, at the, on the year of election, they will promise on how they're going to help you. But then at the end of the day, the situation still remains the same. It's only when there's elections that there will be violence and this person is displaced. Literally their life is uprooted because of an election year. But then also sec the second thing I wanted to say is that it, within the, like, the Kenyan coastal, uh, coastal area, there are different mm -hmm. islands. So recently I learned like one of the islands is that it used to be owned uh, communally. But now what has happened is that because of capitalism and mm -hmm. uh, one human being wanting to benefit uh, from this communal land over the, other, over the others. So they have been forcefully evicting uh, the people who used to live there so that this person can take the land and just uh, you know like sell it to like the big hotels to develop it. So again, uh, which is the other point is that uh, this is a situation where what happened like in 1963 when Kenya gained independence is that a white man is not the only oppressor who can take away your land. Another black person, another African person, especially like what happened in Kenya, because uh, you can look at Kenya, since 1963, uh, we had like a black Kenyan attorney general, for instance, and uh, there were Africans who got the power, but they're the same people who grabbed the land. They're the same people who oppressed and pushed out the other people uh, from the land. And wow. uh, the same situation as what I'm saying, like on this island, and this is this is 2022, they have managed to try and live in a communal way, but because uh, of capitalism, and again, this is not an, a, a, a white person or someone, an outsider, it's someone, an insider who is trying to push out the other people so they can take possession of the island and sell it. And the point I'm making is, uh, especially, uh, and I know this doesn't apply too much in the Kenyan context, but mm -hmm. sometimes when I hear someone uh, make the argument that uh, the biggest problem that we face as Africans is one, the white man, uh, because of his colonialism and white supremacy and such things, I'm like, an African person can equally oppress and take land from you, grab it. Kenya is the example. I, I, just before we, we, we depart from that uh, discussion, mm -hmm. um, I hear you when you say an African person eh, can, uh, can do the oppression and, you know, what have you. But um, again, in context. So, as I said earlier, the guys who actually fought in Kenya, um, there's a, I don't know if you're a music fan, there's a certain group called Lukoflani Maumau. They have a song eh, called Angalia Sa, eh? basically loosely translated to <laughs> look at the time. Yeah? So the guy says, uh, the Maumau guys uh, who are in the, in the war inside, uh, they won the war. But the Mashabiki, the, um, what are Mashabiki? The what? The fans, the guys who are on Lucas, the guys who are watching, uh, are the ones who went to the trophy. And it rings true. The likes of Dedan Kimati, uh, whoever, who are in the forest, uh, they're languishing in poverty. But the, the sons and the daughters of the, of the collaborators and the, and the senior chiefs huh, are the ones who benefited with the whites. Now, this thing has been progressively, this, uh, this um, and Sisulu, Sisulu calls it um, the colonized capital. Eh? The white man has managed to control this guy's thinking. Eh? 
So they're the main beneficiaries, even in South Africa. She's, I think she's referring to, to the likes of the president, whereby there are chosen few, like token black, the black, the black tokens. Eh? Them, they have, they have been empowered economically. They have been given property, and now they are being used to suppress, to 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 to, to suppress and abuse the rights of these other persons. So similarly, in the Kenyan situation, I'm not going to mention names, but you know, if you look up at the list of the biggest landowners, the richest people around, you can trace their lineage to some, you know, some collaborator or senior chief or whoever at some point. Yeah? So, yes, the fact is that a fellow African is currently doing it, yeah? because now it's morally wrong and it wouldn't even look good if a white man would still, was still a colonizer in Africa. But the colonization is still ongoing. Yeah? It's just that it's ongoing now through puppets, through, you know, people who are who have been empowered, they don't want to, to, to lose their, their, their empowerment, so they have to do it. But the root cause, the root cause stems back to the white man, and he came with his laws, and, you know, he, he, he impacted them on us, and, and you define, you, you've said our, our first black attorney general, the late uh, Charles, um, I don't know, I've never met him, I didn't encounter him, but rumor has it that he was a white man, you know. <laughs> like, it's just people who, they have been given this property, they have been given this wealth, this power, and they don't want to let it go. And, they, and they're doing this at the, at, at the, at the, at the, at the mercy of the white man. And the, 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 the people who are running the tea, the tea production in the highlands here in Kericho, it's, it's, white, it's white people. The people who are owning uh, vast lands of, uh, vast properties in Taita Taveta, growing size or not, have you? White men, uh, if you go drive, take a drive to Nakuru, you get to a point just before Naiva, after Naivasha. You drive for kilometers and kilometers, and we all know it's a white man who owns that land. You you go to the to, to ranches in the like Ipe and Nanyuki, it's white people who and I have nothing, I'm not a racist. I'm just stating facts. But I'm in agreement with her. I, I may not be as militant as she is, but we have to. It, it's going to be messy and painful, but things have to change. And you'd find now this black person, third, fourth generation black person who's being discriminated against, he harbors so much hate and pain that he's, he's, a, he's a torch paper. He can be lit anytime. And you'd find post election violence in Kenya. Fine, people are fighting for uh, what they said was a stolen presidency, but dig deep, deep land issues were, were, were people were being were using the cover of a stolen election to evict people from there. It was just land issues, you know. So even in South Africa, I don't know. I've never been. I've never lived there, but I think it's the same thing. It's, it's either this alien or this foreign person owning property directly, vast property, vast lands directly, or through fellow black persons who are now discriminating against their own to protect their own interests. Okay, uh, Chris, I hear you. And I think uh, for the Kenyan scenario, for instance, uh, you'd be surprised, like what you said about companies that own like the tea, the tea exporters in Kenya, has always been uh, the white people who colonized. You, you find it's such companies, you find 
uh, like companies that have roots that go deep, deep uh, into those era are still the companies that actually big companies in Kenya are still supplying and they're global brands and they are really using their lands in Kenya or even flower exporters. But uh, my, my point though, still is even as much as this black person is being used indirectly uh, to oppress other black people, uh, this black people is, is like at the forefront of doing this. They are benefiting, yes, uh, economically, but I'm just, I'm just thinking anyone can be your oppressor and anyone can just oppress you. And that's why I think it's, it's good to like look at everyone, you know, not just like it's from the colonial times. You look at the colonial times, you look at the modern times, everyone who is caught into the oppression thing, whether you're black or white. I mean, we deal with the situation as is uh, so that if right now today, what we can see is this person who has inherited this, this wealth and it's questionable. We just we, we don't even start asking uh you know like how is the white man connected here we start dealing with the situation even as everyone who is oppressing the other person as is today you know um but uh chris i think we should come to an end uh i think i wanted to ask what is your like uh take on like there's a point that uh in the article she says that uh does the law work for africans in africa or do the laws uh, that we have, uh, like in the Kenyan scenario, laws that are out of touch with what <coughs> the society actually needs. needs. Um, uh, so as you come to a conclusion, I think, so this is, I agree with the 99% of her sentiments, but this is the 1% where I think we cooler heads and sober minds need to prevail. Yeah? So our laws, 90% is out of touch with, Okay, our land laws, 90% is out of touch with the, the context and the realities on the ground. But again, uh, rule of law connotes that uh, you're not just being fair to one, to, to, to one side, I think. So we cannot have this radical approach whereby I'm assuming, yeah, and again, this is just a, uh, just loosely assuming that um, the, the supposed cure to our problems would be to, to undo the historical injustices by giving back, back land to, to, to the original owners. But we don't live in a vacuum. This third generation, fourth generation, or this uh, innocent purchaser for value of this property has a rightful title to this property. Now, and he's done some improvements, he's done some investments on this property, you know, we cannot go and tell him this now because, you know, your great-grandfather or the person who sold you this land was a colonizer or was a collaborator or, you know, certain things. Now give back this property. It has to be... We don't want also to, to, to be unfair to, to certain people. It has to be... There has to be a balance. And that is why the approach has to be... You look at it in context. That is why I gave an example. If you're going to... Uh, to return, to, to come back to customary law. You cannot use it. You cannot apply it to everything. It, in certain areas, you can apply. In certain areas, you can't, you know. Or if you're... It, it's just... It's something that is going to be take a long time. Uh, but it has to be done progressively so that we are careful. Uh, we, we don't want to, be ju to do justice to only one side. Because at the end of the day, 
least other persons as well have rightful claim to these properties, have bona fide titles. They're, they're Kenyans. Some are Kenyans of good standing who actually have nothing to do with the with the original uh, their forefathers or the original owners of our property. It has to be a mix about it. So I, I don't agree with her. She doesn't come out clearly, but you can tell from the tone of the letter. Uh, she wants radical surgery whereby land is being returned to the Africans and these other persons. You know, we are in the 21st century. We have to do things in a progressive manner. But for some people, it'll, if you ever get there, I highly doubt it. Because, again, I don't think there are people with enough willpower or enough empowerment or, of, of inst or instruments of law who have the will to do it. Because if you try to do certain things like that, uh, you better be in a position of power or you better have the, the will of the people behind you because it, it will be, otherwise it will be a very lonely walk. So it has to be a balance, I think. Chris, I agree with that. Uh, and especially when you think about it, today the scenario has... Um, there's a mix, as you're saying, of people who have purchased the land uh, for value. And then there's also maybe uh, new things that are ongoing through different developments and such things, which might make it uh, a bit difficult, you know, to say, let's return on the land. And that reminds me of the case of Zimbabwe. And uh, possibly we will have a talk with someone from Zimbabwe on like the outcome of when Mugabe took the land and uh, from the whites and gave it uh, to the blacks. And uh, afterwards, there were comments that uh, black people were saying, you know, if uh, the whites, our economy was doing well when the whites were working the land because one, they had the capital to manage it and two, uh, that the industries were working. But right now, they ended up being jobless because you see you've been given land, but you have no the empowerment and the capital to work it the same way. Uh, the person who used to occupy it and work it was was doing it. So the economy is affected. There's a ripple effect on the economy. Uh, but this has been a great discussion. I hope you pick it up again some other time. Um, thanks for everyone who listened to this. If you have any comments, leave them on our social media pages. We will respond to them. I think I think as well we should also share the article maybe you know, on the poster for this episode uh, yes. so that people can have a read. And uh, I think for we don't want to, to seem as if we're being too radical. I think we, it's an academic discussion for our viewers. Yes, <laughs> so if you have a different point of view, there's nothing militant about our discussion. It's just uh, broadening our horizons. Yes, agreed. Uh, thanks a lot. And in any case, we are just a platform that shares ideas uh, for Africa. And you can share your thoughts and ideas of what you think could be improved on. Africa policy and governance and such issues. Uh, thanks for listening tonight. Um, thank you. Thank you.